Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode eight of the CNC Sportscast. Today is Tuesday, May 31st. We hope you had a fun, long Memorial Day weekend. We'd like to take just to begin this episode to thank all of our people that are currently serving in the armed forces, those veterans who have served in the armed forces, and then obviously our have our respect for those who have died serving in the armed forces protecting this country. And we hope that you celebrated those people this weekend, if those are in your family or maybe some friends, as they serve a role that most of us couldn't fathom. So thank you again to all those uh, who serve and have served. And now let's go ahead and jump right into some news from around the world of sports. Uh, the first thing that we'll be fielding today, and Mo, you can go ahead and kick this off right now. This is some news that came up today. Uh, Aaron Donald's is saying that he'd be at peace with his career if no deals met with the Rams. So uh, it appears as if Aaron Donald's maybe he's, you know, kind of deciding whether or not he wants to come back and play. I believe he's played about eight years in the NFL, maybe a little more or maybe a little less, but I feel it's about eight years. You can look that up while I'm talking but uh i guess the two things that i'm asking you is one do you think it's the right time for aaron donald to call it a career and two if he does call it a career is he hall of fame uh so i'm first gonna start with the first one i do get that you know after winning a super bowl i mean he is 31 years old so you know you start looking he's getting towards the older age and um I mean, for what he's done, you know, I think he's considered one of the best pass rushers of all time. And, I mean, his stats just show that um, I believe he has never had a single sack season. But here, I'll look that up to make sure. But um, I wish he stays in the NFL because he's a fun guy to watch. But, yeah, yeah, I'm no, in 2016 and 14 are his only two sack season. But, I mean, his stats look like he could definitely be in the Hall of Fame. And I think with the moves he has, and especially as a defensive tackle, putting up numbers, some sack numbers like this, I think it's kind of insane and it's a little unheard of. But uh, some people may argue he needs to play a little bit longer. I mean, he didn't play for – that long I mean he's only been playing for like I believe like eight-ish seasons eight or nine and so I feel like you could definitely make an argument there and but I do feel like if he were to come back this season and the Rams were to go back to back I mean he would for sure be a Hall of Famer but I think I mean you'd have to put him in the Hall of Fame if he retired just because of how good he was and I mean he already has a Super Bowl under his belt yeah I feel like it's kind of starting to stack up that if he does decide to retire, it's hard to say that because they say that the hardest thing to do is to retire. You know, I'm trying to think of a way I want to word this. I, I know GSP said it when he was in the UFC, but like one of the hardest things to do is reti- is to retire yourself or tell yourself you need to stop instead of have somebody else tell you, you need to stop or wait until your career starts to go into a downfall or downspin to stop. Like, that becomes some of the hardest things. So, if he was able to stop himself while he's at the height of his game, it would be hard to argue, especially with him playing eight uh, or so years in the NFL. And as good as they were, I mean, I think he's probably top five pass rusher of all time. 
and he's still playing at that high level. So I think he's still got enough to play. But if, you know, he can't work out things with the Rams, you know, being a Ram his whole career is also something that I have a lot of respect for guys who stick with a franchise through their whole career. You know, I don't know why. I think it just shows a sense of loyalty that some people don't have and they just kind of want to grab at Super Bowls. But, you know, he stuck with that team through some rough patches and now he's rewarded with a Super Bowl. So I'd have a lot of respect for him. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him, but I have even more respect for him. He decided to call it there and and is happy with where, you know, his career has come to an end. Uh, In some other NFL news, the district attorney has filed a motion to dismiss charges against uh, Broncos receiver Jerry Judy. So uh, some possible good news for Judy there. Hope maybe he won't miss some time. In um, some other news, uh, unfortunate news uh, that came in, on Memorial Day uh, morning, I believe, is when it happened. But Arizona's uh, Cardinals cornerback, Jeff Gladney, was killed in a car accident at 25 years old. I believe there's also a 26-year-old female in the car who was also killed. So our thoughts and prayers are going to the Gladney family and the family of the – I believe that I saw – she was 26. I don't think her name was released, but her, I believe she was 26 years old. They said it was the only, yeah, 26 year old female passenger were pronounced dead. So thoughts and prayers also go out to her family and friends. And that's unfortunate. Also coming off the news that Dwayne Haskins only, uh, or not that long ago. So that's some unfortunate news there. Um, another news, uh, Josh McDaniel said that Colin Kaepernick's workout with the Raiders uh, overall, Kaepernick felt positive about the workout, but McDaniel said Derek Carr knows the Raiders are his team. So obviously showing that, uh, you know, even though they're working out Kaepernick, he's not the – even if he got the job, he would be the starter, which I think a lot of us knew in that that is Carr's job in that, uh, you know, he's – I think that's smart because I think Carr's play well. But it is interesting that after all this time, McDaniels, you know, he finally gets a head coaching job, and now he's – one of his first thing he does is bring in Kaepernick for a workout. Uh, Mo, do you think that that might shake Carr's confidence a little bit, or do you think it's a little bit of an interesting decision on McDaniels to go Kaepernick? Uh, I mean, I think it's definitely an interesting decision, definitely a risk, but I don't think it's anything that he should be phased by. I mean, Kaepernick hasn't played in a long time. So my guess is with the loss of Mariota, who in my opinion was a very underrated backup, and he did play his role very well when he needed to come in. McDaniels realized he needed to fill in this role. And, I mean, why not? Is, I mean, we know that Carr has had injuries in the past, and they definitely do not want to stop them from going into playoff contention if he gets injured a couple games this season, especially with the amount of talent they have. So I just think it's a move, like, you know, give him a workout, see how he is, you know, maybe start him as a backup first. And I know last year I noticed they ran a couple, like, almost like trick plays with Mariota in, and I feel like Kaepernick – when he played, he had that same thing. He was very good at scrambling out the pocket, but he also had a good enough arm where if the defense were to fully pursuit on him, he could throw the ball over their heads. And I feel like they did that a couple times with Mariota last season. So I feel like they're just trying to fill in that role that they missed after Mariota signed with the Falcons. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 
the the Raiders need the back quarterback position filled. And you know, when you look at Kaepernick, it's one of those things that's like, um, I do think he deserves another time. One of those people that do believe he deserves another chance. Um, I don't believe that he's been, some people say that, you know, he's been not able to have a second chance, but because of what he believes, which, you know, might be the case. I'm not an NFL owner. I'm not part of that community. So I don't know what they're saying, but I think uh, that more the situation with him is that owners don't want to bring in that media attention onto their roster before. So that's why he wasn't getting opportunities before rather than what it was he was standing up for. Um, I think it's good that he was standing up for what he believes in, and I can respect that. But um, as long as he's willing to keep everything that's on the field about football, and he can, you know, do what he wants to do. But I, I think it's, it's, this is good for him to get a second chance. It's worrisome that I believe it was uh, either last season or probably a couple seasons ago. Now he did get a workout, and he, he had, he kind of screwed the pooch on that one. But who knows? Maybe it's good for him to get a, his second chance here. Maybe he learned from his mistakes, you know, and he'll he's going to go out. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, what his reception's like, hopefully back into the NFL, maybe back into the NFL. And, and if he can fill that backup spot, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe he gets some snaps and finds a starting job next year or something. Or, you know, if Carr happens to go down, he's probably reliable backup if he plays like he did when he left the NFL. So, He's proven he can be a quarterback in the NFL. It'll just be completely up to him on, you know, what, which way he's going to go with that. But uh, definitely something to keep your eye on. Um, some other news, uh, Deion Jones of the Atlanta Falcons will miss offseason workout program. And the Steelers hired a dead GM, Omar Khan. Uh, so that was kind of in some news. Um Again, kind of like we've been doing the past couple of weeks, we'll go over the NBA and NHL playoff action. Some major things happened over the past weekend in the, both those, so we'll go over that later. But as far as overall news, uh, Luke Walton joins the Cleveland Cavaliers as an assistant. How Luke Walton's getting another coaching job. Uh, Mo, who would you say was that the uh, – Oh, the uh, Lakers hired uh, Devon – Ham from the he was an assistant in Milwaukee, but I mean with LeBron on the Lakers, we kind of know you know he does most of the coaching for that teams, or it seems that way. So yeah, so it seemed like they just probably brought in a guy who you know will be the coach, but is willing to listen to LeBron. You know, not bringing maybe an older head that's more traditional, like hey, I'm the coach and I make the decisions, but bringing a guy who's going to listen to LeBron and kind of let LeBron do his thing. So bringing in a couple or bringing in him there will be interesting for the future of the Lakers and see what he can do there. Um, as far as overarching NHL news, besides playoffs, um, uh, Ronta got injured in the game seven against, or yeah, yeah. Game seven against the Rangers, but I mean, it doesn't much matter now as I'll talk about later just because they get eliminated. Um, but, yeah, I think other than that, there's not been too much uh, news outside. Uh, Jason Spezza announced his retirement after 17 years in the NFL – or, sorry, NHL. So that's congratulations to him after a long career. But, yeah, I think that's going to kind of wrap up some of the news I wanted to talk, talk about. So I think what we'll do now is go ahead and jump right into – oh, sorry, the one other thing I wanted to – 
that tomorrow the match is back on TNT and it'll be Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and a little bit of a golf match going on. Uh, commentators will be J.J. Watts, Ernie Johnson, and Charles Barkley. So that'll make for some entertaining commentary going on. Those are usually some fun to watch. Uh, I was going to see when it's coming on. I believe, yeah, so it'll be on about 6.30 Eastern time, 5.30 Central. So if you're looking for something to watch tomorrow, that's definitely probably worth the watch. It'll be very entertaining to see um, – see how that goes and just come entertaining TV. But yeah, now I think we'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and jump into some NHL playoff talk. Uh, since our last podcast, both of the um, for second round, all the second round games have come to an end as we head into the conference finals for the NHL. Um, the way the series ended. Uh, so in game five of the, uh, Hurricanes-Rangers series, which was the day we did the podcast, but the game hadn't been played yet on that Thursday. Uh, the Hurricanes topped the Rangers at home. There was no surprise there, and they take a 3-2 series. They took a 3-2 series lead. Uh, like I said, not much of a surprise there as the Ra- or the Hurricanes were taking all their games at home all the postseason, and the Rangers had kind of been struggling on the road in the postseason. Uh, um, that Thursday, also the Oilers would top the Flames in a thing in a game in a series that uh, I had kind of grown an interest in, and uh, they had kind of you know that Oilers team had really started to take it off, so they would end up winning that series four one on the road in Calgary in an OT game. You know the Flames played really hard, but you know anytime you're down three one, it's always very hard to to come back from that. So I didn't think they were the way that that first line of the Oilers have been playing. They were red hot that Drastel uh, or, you know, that McDavid Kane Drastel line has just been incredible and hopefully they can keep it up into the next round to make for some interesting hockey going into that Friday, May 27th, uh, Colorado ended up getting the win over the blues three, two, uh, to win the series 4-2. Again, a series that we kind of talked about before. Uh, shout out to the Blues for pulling out a couple games, but in playing that series very close and much more competitive than I honestly thought it was going to be. I could have seen that series being a sweep or the Blues only to be on the pilot one win. So the fact that they were able to manage two and only lost in the last game by one goal, I thought was rather impressive of them. But again, Avalanche, they're just too skilled, too too. I mean, just the overall too good of a team. I mean, uh, Darcy Kemper and goal, the way that they are, the offense is clicking, and then Kel McCarr, just his, the way his defense has been in, in the playoffs and all season has just been um, too good. And and so they advance to the next round. Uh, and then in game six on Saturday the 28th, the Rangers grabbed the win over the Hurricanes at home. Again, at that point, you know, we hadn't really seen, you know, another non-shocker non there as they win 5-2 at home. Uh, just a, a case where the Hurricanes had looked like a different team on the road than they had at home all postseason, and it comes to bite them. And um, so they lose 5-2, and that ties the series at 3-3. Three three. And yesterday, the shocker of the series, I mean – if I would have had the, if you would have told me that I could put a thousand dollars on that game, I would have hands down put it on the Hurricanes, no questions asked. But 
they somehow they they come out lose big time six to two. The Rangers dominated the game from beginning to end. They look like the better team. I mean, Shesterkin just being the beast he is in goal um, holds on the the Hurricanes to only two goals. I believe he held them. I mean, really, this whole series he played very well. I mean, he held the the two goals in game six and seven, only three in game five, only one in game four. I mean, one in game three. They were they he played really an amazing uh, series overall. Um, I mean, really, never allowing more than three goals. I believe the whole series. So, and you know, who knows? Actually. Yeah, three goals was the most he allowed for that game's all series, who has a very good offensive team. So, you know, he really puts the team on his back in that series, even though it goes all the way seven games. And this is much of what the people said about the Rangers. You know, they said, if he can carry the team, how far can he carry him? You know, I mean, he's, the, if not the best goalie, one of the best goalies in hockey right now. He's playing his ass off in, the, in that series. He's proved that the whole, you know, playoffs their offense is all right but it's just Sturkin is almost solely the reason that they're doing as well as they have and um yeah he's really the reason they end up winning this series he's clearly the MVP their playoff MVP so far it's just a matter of how far uh they can go so just kind of a recap of that round real quick uh to go over Oilers win 4-1 against Calgary uh, Colorado 4-2 over the Blues to advance. Uh, earlier, the Lightning sweep the Panthers to advance, and the Rangers win in a game seven against the Hurricanes. So I'll jump it over to you real quick. What do you think of those those four game, or four series was your biggest uh, – the series that you kind of saw it going the way it was and maybe the series that, that gave you the biggest kind of shocker of did not go exactly the way you were thinking it was going to go. Oh, well, I kind of have two shockers. Um, my first one is I definitely thought the Hurricanes were going to be able to hold off the Rangers. I know Shesterkin was good, but I thought their offense would have been too much because especially the way they played against the Bruins. I mean, we knew they were struggling on the road, but I mean, they had game seven at home. So I kind of thought they'd have that series in the bag. And also, the my biggest shocker was the Lightning sweeping the Panthers. I mean, I thought the Panthers would at least get one game in in that fight. But, um, you know, I mean, I thought the Panthers were going to actually win the series. I thought it was going to be close, though. But the Lightning able to sweep them to show that they're going – they're trying to do everything they can for the three-peat. And then the series I kind of thought, I mean, everyone kind of knew, I mean, the Avalanche are looking like the best team right now, the team to beat. Um, and so I kind of knew they're going to get by the Blues. The Blues were able to take a couple of games, but I think this next matchup for the Avalanche will be an interesting one. I think this is definitely the best competition they're playing in this postseason so far in the Oilers, especially as hot as they've been, especially in that Flame series, and especially as you talked earlier, that first line. So what are your thoughts? How do you think that Oilers first line is going to be able to affect the game and do you think it'll be enough for them to pull away with a couple of games and maybe force it to game seven and win yeah that Oilers avalanche I was about to get in at a conference final game that Oilers avalanche series is going to be crazy uh to watch and and probably very offensive which is kind of hard to say though with the way that both Mike Smith and Darcy Camper are well they've been playing in goal 
But yeah, it's gonna. I mean, when you watch the line of Landeskog and um, and McKinnon go up against the line of uh, McDavid, uh, Kane, and Drysaddle, I mean, that's just gonna be make for probably the most entertaining hockey of the of the postseason. I mean, it's gonna be very offensive. Two, you know, top. I think the two top best lines in hockey are on those two teams. Um, hockey that's left, but maybe in hockey overall, that's going to be left. I mean, that's going to be uh, just an incredible series to watch, and it's going to be a matter of who's going to be able to get the upper hand. I mean, there might be some very low-scoring games, too, because, I mean, both Mike Smith and Kemper have played very well in goal um, for both these teams. I mean, obviously, you can't make it this far without a goal. He's going to play very well. But, um, I mean, these are just, you know, some guys on both these teams that have found success more than anybody else. And, and, and they've continued to find success against some pretty good goalies um, in the past. So, who knows what, it, what the future holds. I think it'll be offensive. But if the goalies play really again, I mean, you can't say that you've been shocked as well as they've been playing. I mean, that first game of that series is tonight. I think – even if you're not going to watch the whole thing, you almost have to watch at least the first four or five minutes of that game just because you have to watch the way – I mean, as soon as the puck drops, just the McDavid and um, and uh, McKinnon matchup and those first-line matchup. I mean, just to even watch that first shift just to see the true speed of what these pros can really be at is just incredible, going to be incredible to watch. And, and that series – I think it's going to be more entertaining than people think. I think if you just look at this series, the almost gut reaction would be like um, the Avalanche are going to crush the Oilers. I mean, they're just the Oilers. I mean, I'll admit, we were sleeping on the Oilers early in the playoffs. I didn't even really watch that much of their first round against the Kings because I was like, oh, it doesn't matter because they're going to lose. They'll probably lose to the Flames anyway because I thought they were the worst team. And now that, I mean, once that Flame series started to become more competitive, I was like, okay, I got to check this team out. And, like, I guess I just had been sleeping on McDavid because they were incredible. I mean, the way that that first line is clicking, I mean, it's just beyond belief. And the way Mike Smith, you know, they've been talking about how he really hasn't played a bunch of consecutive games in a long time, probably because of his age. They're worried about fatigue and all that. But, man, he's playing probably the hottest hockey I've seen or he's played in a long time because he's – I mean, it's almost like he's getting better with – as he goes on, with that being said, he's also had some some not great games. But overall, I feel like his play has been pretty well for them. And with their offense they've been able to do or have, uh, I feel like they're – I mean, they've it, he's felt even more comfortable. So I think this game at least goes to uh, five or six. I mean, this is not going to be a sweep. This is not going to be a game that the Avalanche can feel they can just roll over and play not their best hockey. I mean, that first line of the, I, that first line of the Kane, McDavid, and Drastel, that that line's clicking too much for them to just roll over now. So I feel like this game goes to five or six. But in the end, like Steve May Smith, I have to digress and say that the Avalanche, I I think they're just too much. I mean, we called this in the very beginning. And even though, you know, as you get more into the, any playoffs and you see one team win a bunch of games and you start to change your mind about a team, I mean, it, they're just too much. The, the talent they have 
is just, I mean, McCarr, McKinnon, Kemper and Goal, Dreisaitl. I mean, the names you can go on forever. I mean, they have, of the six defensemen that play, they're all good quality defensemen. They have really no major weak points. It's just hard to say with the talent they have, they can't find a way to win this series. So I, 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 I can't bet against them. I will say the Oilers drawing this series out, they're going to make them work for it. And I believe that if the Avalanche can win this game, I mean, I don't know. You could say the Lightning might be the tougher test, and it might be. But, um, but yeah, that, that series, I only see that. I, I, it would be hard to see that the Oilers win that series. But of the series in the pool that are left in the NHL, if you're going to watch one, you have to watch that one. That's going to be an awesome series. Offensive series, probably. If it's not offensive as in high scoring, probably a lot of shots on goal. It's going to make these goalies work. And I think in the end, if it comes down to that, as good as Mike Smith has been playing recently, uh, I feel like Kemper is a bigger threat. Uh, he's been playing better. And so I feel like for them, you know, it's just that's just – if that's the way it goes, it's definitely favor Avalanche. But I feel like I'm not shocked if Oilers pull up a few games. How, how do you think that series will end up? What's your prediction? Oh, I, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. And I think the Oilers are going to give the Avalanche a run for their money. And I think it's going to go down to seven games. and then. But I do think the Avalanche are going to take it away. But I think um, I think these first couple of games, I think the Oilers are going to take them away just because I feel like the Avalanche, you know, they're, I don't feel like they've played that much. I mean, I love the Predators, but, I mean, I mean, we were definitely a weaker team in the playoffs. I mean, the Blues were good, but, I mean, they weren't really hot. I mean, they played the Wild, and that was a good series. Either that was like a coin flip series. Either of those teams could have won. But this is the first team I think they're playing that's hot and, like, you know, almost like – I mean, everyone's at playoff intensity, but this is, like, you know, semifinals intensity, you know. And so I feel like that first line is going to be able to produce a lot in these first couple of games. But then once I feel like the Avalanche are able to not slow down the game, but able to, you know, I feel like they're just so quick on the ice. And as soon as they start to click, it's just game over for the Oilers. But I do feel like the Oilers, especially at the beginning of the series, are going to be able to take a couple games. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into the other, the other conference final game we have in the, excuse me, the Eastern conference. And that's the lightning and the Rangers. And like you said before, Lightning might have been, as far as the last uh, second round games, the Lightning might have pulled up the biggest shocker of that and that they swept the Panthers, which makes them a very dangerous team coming into um, this round. Now, you have problems like we talked about the Avalanche last time. If, you know, having the long break that they did have, having to wait for the Rangers to play through seven games, and I think – uh, let's see, if I go back, the last time the Lightning played a game was May 20. So it's been, yeah, about a week since they've played a game. So will that factor into the momentum they're carrying or whatnot? In my opinion, even if it does, it doesn't matter. The way Vasilevsky is playing and the way that they've, I mean, the way they handled that that uh, very offensive, very good Panthers team, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a motivated, looking for the three-peat Lightning team. And they're going up against the Rangers team who, like I said before, I mean, the Rangers, 
I'm. I think it's their fans should be very happy that they've miraculously made it this far. I mean, major credit to Igor Shosturkin. I mean, in hockey, if you have an awesome, amazing goalie, you can do so much. And I feel like this proves it that the goalie is probably the most important position to have on the ice because Shosturkin has been one of the best goalies all year. He's played an amazing playoffs, and now here they are. Now their offense. You has scored some goals in a lot of in some games, but you also have to think about the think about the teams they've played. I mean, if you go back in their road, they played the the Penguins. The Penguins lost Jari early in the season, maybe even before the series, if I remember right. Um, and had, they had to play Deming the whole series. Deming was not their starting goalie; uh, he was a backup. Comes in, so they beat a backup goalie, and they win in seven. Takes them seven, and they struggle on the road a lot. So then what happens? They go and they play to the Hurricanes. Hurricanes don't have their starting goalie, and they have to play Ranta. Um, so really, the the, or the sorry, the Rangers have been blessed with being able to play uh, backup goalies in all their series, and now they have to go against uh, – I probably hands down top three, arguably the best go one of the best goalies in the NHL right now in uh, Vasilevsky, which is not, um, you know, sorry, Frederick Anderson was the name of the goalie for the Hurricanes. I was trying to think of, he didn't play, he got injured. Uh, so they didn't play him that whole series. They go up against Ronta, who's not a guy that's like, I mean, he's he's not a goalie you sleep on. Obviously he's a pretty good go- backup goalie to have. Still, he's not, Frederick Anderson, who was having an amazing season. I believe he was like second in gold allowed and second or third in save percentage or something like that. So another guy that was having an incredible year, they luck out, don't have to play him, have to play Ronta. But again, this Rangers team, I feel like they've almost lucked their way through the playoffs. I mean, playing backup goalies, I mean, riding on the back of Shesterkin. But now you got Shesterkin versus Vasilinski. Really, that's what the series is. I feel like it's almost going to be the opposite of the Oilers Avalanche series and that it's going to be the, you know, the lower scoring, very defensive series. And I think in the end, in the end, when you play that game, the lightning win because their offense is just too, too, uh, just levels above what the Rangers offense is. And with the way the Rangers have already been struggling on the road, I mean, going to two game sevens, they're way more worn out than the, um, then with no break, they're way more worn out than the, um, sorry, than the Lightning are after you know getting that break, which is nice to have after the second round because you've played so many games already. So I think, especially after going through Game Seven against the Leafs, that the Lightning did. So I really see this. I don't think it'll be a sweep. Um, I think the Rangers will pull off one at home, but uh, yeah, I could see this game being four one four two. Just because when you do that matchup comparison of how those two teams are going to match up, I mean, two amazing goalies in Valensky, Vasilevsky and um, and Shesterkin, which is going to make for some very entertaining saves, I'm sure. If, I mean, if you love watching goalies play, that's a series for you. But at the end of the day, I think the Lightning advanced to the, to the Stanley Cup Finals playing for Lord Stanley Cup just because – you got to compare offenses at that point, and the Rangers' offense has not proven to me that they are anywhere near the skill level uh, of that Lightning team. Because 
I mean, they, they've looked out and playing some backup goalies. But, uh, yeah, so I got the Lightning in in probably like four or probably five, about five games. So, uh, Mo, what do you think about that series, that Lightning Rangers series? How do you see that going? And, and uh, who's going to pull out that series and head to the play for Lord Stanley's Cup? Oh, I mean, I definitely think you bring up a good point. I think that the Lightning will take the series, but I mean, uh, we saw what happened to the Avalanche as soon as they swept the Preds and then played the Blues. I mean, in those first two games, they just didn't, they didn't look like themselves almost. So I feel like there might be a shocker in game one or two where the Rangers are able to pull away. But once game three and four and five hit, I mean, once the Lightning are in their stride, I feel like they're the better team. And I feel like they'll be able to take away that series. And at, at maximum, that series will go six games before the Lightning take it away, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting series in the sense that from the beginning of that series, you're going to know a lot about it. I mean, like you said, that break can be very good for rest, but very bad for momentum. And with the Lightning riding as heavy as momentum as they were, and momentum being a major factor in, in how well they're playing, I believe. Um, that first game is pivotal for them. They got to come out swinging. Even if they don't win big, they win by maybe one goal or something. That's all you got to do. Because then for the Rangers, that's that's detrimental. Because that if you lose that first game, that's the biggest thing I believe the Rangers have going for them is the fact that, you know, besides just start complaining like the way he is, they have the fact that the Lightning are coming off this break. So you just got to get in that first game, even though it's on the road, and you got to find a way to punch them in the mouth. And you got to really figure out a way how you're going to go about – oh, I'm sorry, that game's in New York in the first game because they're the higher seed. So, uh, yeah, so that's actually really good news for the Rangers because they've been so successful on the road. So you got to win that game. I, I really feel like almost – even though it's very early in the series – Almost for the Rangers, that's a that's a must win game. You got to get them on their heels. You can't let them get that momentum back they had that they had against the Panthers. I mean, this is a good team. Get your goalie some confidence back. Just you know, pelt Vasilevsky with pucks. Keep going on net, and that's the best chance you're going to have at this series. And so that game one and tomorrow uh, at seven is is so pivotal for them to figure out a way to win that game. Would be, I mean, that would be so huge for them. But, uh, yeah, I think that's all the NFL, sorry, NHL playoff talk I want to hit. So now we'll jump over the most for some of the NBA recap and analysis of what's going on there. So, I mean, first, I won't really recap it, but just, you know, just a reminder that um, the Warriors are made the finals. They beat the Mavs 4-1. In my opinion, not really a shocker. I mean, I feel like it's something that everyone, if you watch a little bit of basketball, you kind of saw it coming. Because how far can Luka take them? But, I mean, against a super team like the Warriors, it, it was not going to be too far. But where we left off last time was game six. Uh, the series was in favor of Boston, three to two. They could have ended at the chance at uh, the Garden. But, I mean, Butler drops. It's, I mean, I think it was a theme in this series. Butler drops 47, and the Heat are able to take a – take the win which is meant that's just what he's been doing this whole series he's been dropping absurd amount of stat lines and I mean I feel like he's definitely been carrying the heat through this playoff run and especially with the absence of Tower Hero in this series it has definitely played an effect on how it's played out uh I mean the Celtics played well this game but I just feel like I mean 
when it came down to it, the Heat looked like the better team. And I feel like this series was very Tatum versus Butler. And Butler definitely won this game. As we knew towards the end of this game, it actually it was very debatable. I, uh, after they go back after each game, basically, and they reviewed the game for like missed calls for the refs. And in the final two minutes, they tweeted out that they found, let's see, they found uh, four missed calls in the last two minutes, which in my opinion is just unacceptable. Here, I'll just go over. So there was actually a couple. It was, I believe it was six because there were two uncalled three-second violations on Adebayo, two fouls on Celtics, uh, Deirdre White that should have not been called, uh, an uncalled Tatum travel, and an uncalled Celtics five-second inbound violation. So in the last two minutes, I mean, as officially, I mean, they're still humans that are going to make mistakes, but, I mean, six mistakes is not what you wanted to make, and – especially in the last two minutes, especially as close as that game was towards the end. You just kind of hate to see a game go that way, an official route, and not allow them to play as much. But also another factor in this game was uh, the Celtics turned over the ball 17 times, and also the Heat turned it over 17 times. So, I mean, they need to handle the ball more. I mean, Tatum had seven turnovers in this game six, which is just unacceptable especially if you're going to be an all-star. So, I mean, the Heat definitely outplayed him that game at home, and so the series was tied 3-3. And then we go to game seven, which, I mean, the Celtics basically controlled it the whole game. And it looked like they were going to come out there with a pretty big win. I mean, they had a good lineup. They were playing well. Tatum was playing well. Smart was playing well. Brown was playing well. Everyone had a hot hand. They were shooting really well. But then towards the end, the Heat started to creep back in at the lead. I mean, definitely led by Jimmy Butler, dropping 35. Like I said, a theme in this series. I mean, Adebayo played very well, too, dropping 25. And Tyra Hero was only able to play for a little bit, only taking two shots, and he played seven minutes, which is another thing I didn't like about this game. I get Hero was injured, but I don't see the point of putting him only in for seven minutes. I mean, if he's clear to play, you might as well give him. I mean, this is your season right here. So if he's clear to play, you might as well give him minutes. But if you're only going to give him seven, I mean, this Heat team, especially in the fourth quarter, I mean, they put up the great fight. But you could tell that they looked very tired. And, I mean, that leads to more questions, which we'll go on later about the road, about decisions towards the ends of the game. But another couple – of things that I saw about this game was, again, it was a Butler versus Tatum showdown. And I feel like Butler played better than Tatum in this series. But I feel like Tatum had more help and the Celtics played better defensively, which helped them take away these games, especially this game seven in Miami. But then I was going to ask you a question that we've talked about before. Was Jimmy Butler shot right or wrong? And if you think it's wrong, what should he have done? Yeah, I think at the end of that game, because I watched most of the game, basically the whole game, that game seven. And, I mean, like you said, Butler was just dominating practically the whole game. I mean, yeah, he ended, like you said, he ended up, but, I mean, played 48 minutes, ended up with 35 points, played the whole game, I mean. And then, yeah, that final shot. So, if there's one guy you want the ball in the hands at the end of the game, it was Jimmy Butler, which they got after the, you know, they go on that awesome, uh, like, 11-point run or whatever the hell it is. 
at the end of the game to come back in because I honestly thought it was over. I was like, oh, it's over. So he gets the ball, gets the rebound, and goes down. And then you have the shot. It's just funny because if he sets his feet on that three-point shot, I probably don't complain about it. I mean, the three-point shooting, is I would say, is definitely not the, not the best part of his game, especially in that game as well as he was going to the rim, whether it was making the shot or just drawing a foul. And so the three-point shot, I'll admit, was open. And, you know, they were only down two points, but the three was open. It was the way that he released the ball that was frustrating, I feel like, because it was like he couldn't make up his mind. You know, in that situation, being the star player you are, you should know going down the court what you're going to do, whether you're going to set your feet and shoot that three, which was, you know, looked fairly open, or you're going to go to the rim. And I feel like the problem with that shot was he couldn't make up his mind until the last second. And then he shoots a terrible shot, breaks a three, and then, you know, at that point, it's game over. So that's why, in my opinion, I think he should have taken it to the rim. Now, that's easy to say now that the game and the series is over um, because he missed. If he makes a three-point, he looks like a genius, I guess, and that's always going to be the case. But I really do feel like the way he was playing in that game and the best parts of his game is taking the ball to the rim. He was being doing it so successfully in that game alone that he was shocked he decided to take the three. I feel like there was a lot of adrenaline running. You know, also you got to think about, you know, and, and I was going to think of like kind of what you might have thought about this is, you know, he played that whole game. I mean, he played 48 minutes, which is just insane that, that he was able to do that. And he did it very well, obviously, getting 35 points and nine rebounds. But, do you, I mean, there could have been a factor in his mind that like maybe he's a little worn out, a little tired. And he's like, hey, I'm going to put this game to bed right now. I'm going to shoot this three, game over. We're going to go on to the next round, get a little rest, and then, you know, we'll head to uh, to Golden State. So it's kind of like maybe that was in his head a little bit. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I feel like uh, I was shocked he took the three. I was shocked he took it in as bad a style he did. If he makes a three, though, he looks like a genius. But uh, and I can maybe understand his singing for it. But at the end of the day, I mean – and like you said, I mean, like, we, you know, Al Horford was down there. And, you know, if there's one guy maybe you don't want to go down against on the Celtics, as well as Horford, as was playing in that game in the post, too. Maybe it's him. But, yeah, I feel like just being the star athlete Butler is, I like that matchup for him, even though it is Horford. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, th- those decisions are made in a one second or two seconds. And, and he makes that decision. And now he's got to live with it. But it it was a interesting decision. I if he would if he had decided he was going to take the three, I wish he would at least you know he had time to set his feet and take a good shot. But just the fourth is frustrating. I feel like especially probably for the Heat fans is just the fashion in which he took the three was probably the most frustrating thing for me. Oh yeah, I mean I I mean you do make good points, but I mean I got to disagree with you on this one. I mean. The game's on the line. You want the ball in Jimmy Butler's hands. He's been scoring all day. And, I mean, you just break down the box score. I mean, they would have got, in my opinion, they would have got murdered in OT. I mean, they put everything they had left on the court. But, I mean, they had a very small bench due to injuries. And, of course, we talked about Hero earlier, not able to play that much. I mean, Kyle Rowery played 40 minutes on an injury. So you already got that right there. As you said earlier, Butler played the whole game, and Bam Adebayo only sat out for two minutes. So those are your big three guys. I mean, you want to end the game here. I do think um, 
the form was a little off and maybe the shot was too early. I mean, he did have 16 seconds left, but I mean, it wasn't uncontested three. So I think it's very hard to say that it wasn't the right shot in today's NBA. And I mean, that's a shot he can definitely make. And I feel like that shot would definitely seal the deal. But uh, I mean, a lot of people are saying he could have driven to the paint, but I mean, Horford was giving them so much space because that's what he was expecting. And I mean, Horford is such a great paint defender, as has been shown through the series. And, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he just – I mean, he already had two blocks earlier that game. And so I think even if he does drive in the paint, I mean, maybe he draws a foul and gets two free throws, but then it's a tie game. The Celtics get the ball with 16 seconds left. I mean, are they able to score? Can they put up another one because then they can call a timeout, you know, come up with a play. But I think this is the right call. It's to put the dagger in it right now. You take the lead by one, and then you, they're still able to call a timeout. But that way, you dunk on the OT because the Celtics were definitely had, – they had the bigger rotation, and they definitely looked towards the end of that game. They didn't look nearly as tired as the Heat did in those last three minutes. And then another thing is I think it would have been a good shot if he wasn't as fatigued as he was towards the end of the game. I mean, playing the whole game, in my opinion, is just insane and berserk. It should never happen because, I mean, I think this is one of the effects of it is that when you're putting up a shot, I mean, it definitely, I mean, the shot was short and that has to do with the amount of, you know, I mean, you've been running around all game, only got a break between quarters or at timeouts. And so I feel like it was the right shot. And people are, of course, going to be like, well, he's only shooting, you know, 29% that game. But, I mean, that's a wide-open three and a look that you just can't pass up. And that would have been – I mean, that would have won the game. And I feel like it's definitely what you said. I mean, nobody would be talking about it if he drained that three. I mean, he would be the hero. And so I feel like it's one of those things. It's the fact that he missed it. But I feel like it was the right shot. It was uncontested. I mean, people are like, Horford was coming up. But, I mean, in the NBA, especially with Jimmy Butler, we know he has a quick enough release to get that off uncontested. I just feel like the fatigue and everything else factored in. And I feel like he was thinking, like most people, he didn't know what he's really going to do. And so that's why the form looked a little off. But at the end of the day, he missed a shot, and the Celtics went on to win the game after making their free throws. And now they'll play – the Warriors, which I think will be a very good series. If I had to pick a team, I would say the Celtics, personally. I think it's going to be a good series. You could go either way. I mean, the Warriors do have a couple injuries in Iguodala, Gary Payton the second, and uh, Otto Porter, who when we don't really know when they're going to be back. But this game, in my opinion, is going to be – uh, I, th- I think an interesting matchup will be Draymond Green versus Jason Tatum. Because, uh, Tatum's a very good offensive player, but Green has shown that he can walk up basically anyone, especially at that power forward position. And it will be how well can the Celtics go out and contest those Warriors threes, as we've seen Curry can hit fire, Clay can hit fire, and it'll just be interesting to see. I feel like the Celtics will definitely win down low in the post. But with guard play, I mean, I feel like they're going to definitely need Jalen Brown. We know he's a very good defender, but he's definitely going to need to step up to the task in contesting these threes and able to hold Stephen Curry off. Because as we've seen, especially when they played the Grizzlies and even a little bit when they played the Mavericks, once the Warriors hit fire, they're very hard to stop and almost unbeatable.
do you have anything you want to talk about in this series? Yeah, I agree. I think the Celtics at the end of the day are just the better team. I mean, they have the more like the better depth and the better overall. You know, like you said, hands down, they're better in the post with Horford and Williams. Um, and I feel like they have more talent. Uh, I mean, I mean, the, the Warriors obviously have talent, but the overall talent in Tatum and Brown, and even the way Marcus Smart has played and Grant Williams. I mean, they're and Derek White too. I mean, they have a bunch of guys playing at a very high level. And I feel like the road for the Warriors recently has been fairly easier, a lot easier than Boston has been. I mean, you know, playing, you know, obviously going through the Nuggets pretty easy, as easy as they did. And then playing Memphis without jaw obviously gives them a big, you know, kind of – but even though they won four, four – they did win four too, but playing them without jaw, you know, obviously big good for them. And then when they played Dallas, you know, we kind of talk about they really only had to get through Luka, able to do that for one, you know, obviously very dominant there. But still, I feel like, you know, that harder road that the Celtics had to go through helps them a little, you know, especially what I mean by having to go through Miami. And we talked about this before, probably whoever won that series was going to be the one to win the finals. And I still feel that way. I feel like the way Boston has been playing, they're going to be very motivated coming off of that game seven win. Uh, you know, Warriors have a bit of bigger break. Maybe that looms on them a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Boston takes this series. I feel like they have more depth. I feel like overall they're a better team. And, and so, yeah, I think in the end they triumph. So, uh, yeah, I think that's going to bring today's episode to an end. Uh, some quick reminders. Uh, go drop a follow on our Twitter uh, at CNC Sportscast so you can be the first notified of when our newest episodes are dropped. And, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us here today. Make sure you go watch some NBA and NHL playoff action. And, yeah, we'll see you in the next one.